looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12.2 Jesus, as I open my eyes to greet this day, I am in awe of your great love for me. I am in awe of everything that you sacrificed, everything that you endured, everything that you overcame to be with me. I can feel your face shining on me. I feel your delight in me. Sometimes it seems like I'm surrounded by a sea of problems. But no matter the size or strength of the waves, I know that by the time they reach me, they will subside. Because when you speak, the wind and the waves obey. They fall silent before you. When it looks like I'm sinking, I know I can call on you and you will rescue me. When everything around me seems to be swirling in chaos and confusion, I will fix my eyes on you, the one who never changes. I will take comfort in knowing that you are the Prince of Peace, as well as the author and perfecter of my faith. You will give me courage and strength. You will give me hope and joy for the journey. And one day, you will lead me safely home. Thank you, Jesus. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Stay tuned to immerse yourself in the greatest stories ever told from Pray.com's podcast, Heroes in the Bible. Hello, my name is Matthew Potter, co-founder of Pray.com. And before we start today's episode of Heroes in the Bible, I wanted to ask, do you know what your bank does with your money? At America's Christian Credit Union, your everyday banking helps grow churches, expand the reach of missions agencies, and supports fellow believers across the country. Learn more about specials for switching to ACCU and their nationwide banking capabilities at americaschristiancu.com forward slash pray. Plus, the peace of mind knowing that this credit union is federally insured by the National Credit Union Administration. Hi, I'm Dr. Tony Evans, your host for Heroes in the Bible. If you've enjoyed this podcast so far, please share it with your family and friends and help us spread God's word. Welcome to the Epic Adventure of David, a story of honor, battle, jealousy, darkness, friendship, love, scandal, and murder. While most people know of David the myth, few know about David the man. In this episode, David takes a leap in the wrong direction. Fear of Saul drives him out of Israel and into the arms of the enemy. He makes an alliance with the Philistines built on a foundation of lies. We will have been with our hero long enough to know lies are a shaky foundation, causing everything to crumble eventually. His poor decision, as calculated as it seems, will corner him between a rock and a hard place. What will David do when faced with two equally devastating options? How does his future king act when there seems to be no way out? This episode will focus our attention on the theme of grace. When David fails and has no way out, will God come to his aid or leave him like he left Saul? This story begins with a prelude, but it is not taken from a different time. 
Rather, this prelude takes place while David and his men are moving out of Israel. We will follow Saul into the dark underbelly of Endor. He seeks comfort in the den of a witch. As you may have guessed, comfort is the last thing he will find there. Nothing is easy in this episode, although it may seem easy at times. As we listen to David's journey, be reminded that lies always have a cost. The end of this episode gives us a sigh of relief, but I promise you it is a false sense of relief. David is not going to get off as easy as it seems. Before I give more away, let's dive into our episode, A Friend of the Enemy. Prelude to Chapter 15 Silence. For all his inquiring, searching, and praying, he was still met with a maddening silence. The heavens were closed off to Saul, and all that remained for him were the chaotic voices of his own demons. He beat his fists against his chest and cried out at the stars. Falling to his knees and weeping, he looked upwards. He prayed into the vast universe, but his words dissipated into oblivion. His arrogant and prideful inquiries would receive no response from God. Saul had been cut off and cast aside by the Lord, and all he had left to do was live out the remainder of his days in agony and welcome an inglorious death. Saul remained outside, shaking his fists at the heavens. He raged against God and cursed him for turning his face from him. He was in great distress, about to face an army more vast than he had ever seen. The Philistine kingdoms had united, and Saul was forced to gather his entire army to march against them. He was afraid, and his whole heart and body trembled. He sought guidance from priests and prophets, yet even they could not hear from the Lord on Saul's behalf. Unwilling to endure more tormenting silence, Saul called for his servant. Davi, Saul whispered. Tavi, I need you. Tavi came out of the tent and stood at Saul's side. The night air was cold and piercing. The king's servant wrapped him in a blanket of fur and stood at attention. I need you to seek out a woman for me. At this hour, my lord? Tavi asked, confused. Not that type of woman, Tavi. A woman of the ancient arts. I seek to speak to a witch. Tavi gulped and bowed his head. He immediately sent some of his servants to seek out a woman of the ancient arts, someone that could communicate with the evil spirits that crowd the kingdom of the air. They found a woman in the city of Endor. Saul took an old cloak, covered himself, and left with Tavi immediately. They ventured into the city of Endor. The city was asleep, and the only light that remained were that of brothels and blacksmiths. Yet in the dark underbelly of the city, lurking in a forgotten alley, was the witch of Endor. Saul and Tavi entered the woman's home. It reeked of burnt incense and newly skinned animals. Saul uncovered his hood and looked around. Dead ravens hung from the ceiling, and incense burned under carved images of foreign gods. The room was dark, and lit only by a few faint candles and a small fire burning in the middle of the room. At the end of the room, lounging on a few pillows, was the witch. She was younger than Saul had imagined. Although revolting in many ways, with markings on her arms and legs and eyes as dead as driftwood, there was something intoxicating about her. 
Saul felt drawn to her like a moth to flame. He stepped closer, only to see the fear in her face. She recoiled like a cat back onto the pillows. Who goes there? The witch hissed. Saul still had his hood on, hiding his identity. I need you to summon a spirit for me, he said. The woman tilted her head in curiosity. She gracefully stepped off of her pillow and slithered towards Saul. And what makes you think I can help you? Don't you know that King Saul cut off the mediums and necromancers from the land? If I were to tell you I could help, certainly I would be laying a trap for myself. Saul understood what the woman was saying. He lifted his hand and swore to her. I swear by the Lord, no punishment shall come upon you for this. You swear by the Lord all the while seeking the help of a witch. The woman cackled. <laughs> you are truly a conflicted soul, aren't you? The woman ran her fingers through her hair and down her waist. Chills raced up Saul's spine at the sight of it. The woman rubbed her hips then reached behind her, grabbing a flask of oil. She smelled the fragrant oil and began dripping it into the fire. A sour fragrance filled the room. Who do you need conjuring? She asked. Bring me Samuel, the prophet, he said with a trembling voice. Very well. The woman took a step back and bowed her head. Her hair covered her face as she bent her neck forward. Saul could hear faint mumbles from the woman. She shook her shoulders back and forth, and her mumbles grew louder and louder. The woman began to shake uncontrollably, and a loud scream came out of her. Her eyes opened, and she pointed at Saul. You deceived me! She shouted. You are King Saul! The woman raged at Saul, screaming and hissing. Saul recoiled and removed his hood. Did I not tell you no harm would come to you? Now, what do you see? The woman sat back and rolled her neck again. Closing her eyes, she recounted to Saul the visions she was seeing. I see a spirit in the appearance of a man, she said, clothed in a white robe, coming up out of the earth. The woman shook her head back and forth. Saul could see her eyes moving underneath her eyelids. He is old and coming up to you. It is Samuel. Saul said with a trembling voice. It is he. Please, tell me what he says. Saul bent to his knees and lifted his hands to the woman. The woman tilted her head forward, then back, then forward again. At last she was still and her voice became very deep as though a man was speaking through her. Who disturbs me? She said in a hollowed out voice. <laughs> Samuel? Saul gasped. His hands were shaking, and nervous tears fell from his face. It is I, Saul. I have asked this woman to conjure you so I might seek out your wisdom. I am in great distress. Saul's demeanor was like that of a child's. He was desperate, afraid, and frantic. God has turned his back from me. I have no answers. I have summoned you so you can tell me what to do. The Lord's silence is his answer, Saul, Samuel said. Why do you ask me, a messenger of the Lord, when the Lord himself has turned from you and become your enemy? 
Did I not tell you that he will tear the kingdom out of your hand and give it to David? You know this to be true. Do not fight it. Saul's face grew white as snow as he listened. It was his worst fear realized. Before he could speak, the spirit of Samuel continued, saying, Because you did not obey the Lord, he will give Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Tomorrow, you and your sons shall be with me. Me and my sons will be with you? Saul gasped. Samuel, what is my fate? What will happen? Saul fell to his face on the ground. His body was sprawled out and prostrated before the witch. He was trembling and ghostly in appearance. The witch was snapped out of her trance, only to see Saul laying face down on the ground. Ah, let me get you something to eat, she said. You do not look well. No, Saul said. I will not eat. He propped himself back up and stood to his feet. He gestured to Tabby, who was sitting in the corner of the room. We will be going now. Perhaps you should eat, Tabby said. Rest, for if we are to prove Samuel's prophecy wrong tomorrow, you will need your strength. So Saul ate. He mindlessly stared at the fire, thinking about Samuel's words. Tomorrow he would march against the Philistines. He feared that his final breath would be released out on the battlefield tomorrow. Yet there was nothing he could do to stop it. Chapter 15 A Friend of the Enemy The desert wasteland was cruel and unforgiving. The heat of the sun beat down on the back of David's neck, yet he remained steadfast on his course. His men and their families marched behind him, quietly and reluctantly following. Saul's last attempt on his life had been the final straw. David would no longer remain within the borders of Israel, only to be hunted like a dog. It was time for him to move into a land beyond King Saul's reach, the land of the Philistines. Joshua being walked beside David, trying to keep up with his fast pace forward. He, like many others, questioned his decision to leave Israel and venture off into enemy territory. David and his men had killed many Philistines, and they feared an aggressive welcome. I know you are intent on leaving Israel, Joshua Beam said to David. But are you sure that seeking refuge among the enemies of Israel is a wise plan? What if they kill us on sight? We are hunted like animals by the king of Israel, David said coarsely. The people of Israel have made their choice. They have chosen to treat us as criminals and relentlessly pursue us. It is far more unsafe for us to stay within its borders than venture off somewhere else. David was resolute and unwavering. Saul's continual pursuit of him had left him with no other options. While Saul was still alive, David had no place within Israel's borders. He and his tribe continued to march through the arid desert, looking to the west for Gath, the birthplace of Goliath. The desert sand slowly gave way to more rocky paths, winding into a road tucked between two mountains. David had a sinking feeling that they were being watched. A company as large as his would not slip into the borders unnoticed. They had to be cautious and on guard. An ambush may be just around the corner, David whispered to Joshua Beam. Be on alert and keep your spear close. David led his people through the ravine towards the large city of Gath. David remembered the city well, 
Its buildings were coarsely cut out of stone and stood taller than most of the structures in Israel. The people of Gath were obsessed with making their city large, even at the cost of beauty and utility. It was a roughly put-together city, with strange alleyways and rough structures. The ravine came to an end about half a mile from the city. The exit was in sight, and David halted his company. He waited for a moment, listening for any shift in the stones above him. Finally, after a few moments of silence, David heard the shifting of rocks to his left. He drew his sword and yelled, Brace for attack! His men drew their weapons, and a Philistine horde emerged from behind the mouth of the ravine. The men formed a wall in front of the women and children, and David rushed to the front with his sword drawn. As the Philistines advanced, David ran forward. He raised his hands high in the air and fell to his knees. The gesture surprised the Philistines, and they immediately ceased their attack. David dropped his weapon and yelled, Wait a moment and listen! I am David. You know me as the Giant Slayer. I come here with my men and their families. We do not come as enemies, but as refugees. Please, let me speak to your king. You may bind me and take me to him if you wish. The men approached with their spears still pointed outward. David looked back at Abishai. You keep them safe until I return, he whispered. Abishai nodded and had the men put down their weapons. The rest of David's people watched as he was bound in rope and escorted away by the Philistines. Fearful, they retreated back behind the mountains and awaited their leader's return. David was escorted into the borders of Gath. He had been there once before when fleeing for his life. He had feigned madness to get himself out of trouble. Then he feared that King Achish's first impression of him would prove harmful to his case. Yet with faith, David allowed himself to be taken. It would be the only way to gain favor from the king of Gath. Once again, he was ushered into the palace of King Achish. Furs decorated the stone walls, and fires were raging in all four corners of the hall. It was warm and smelled of burning meat and spilled wine. King Achish sat at his throne, leaning over intently, as David entered the room bound in ropes. Like most Philistine kings, Achish was large and battle-worn. Years of warring against surrounding nations for territory had hardened his body and his heart. David knelt before him humbly. He knew he had a lot of work to do to get Achish to trust him. So he began with a simple plea. King Achish, David began, Live forever. May the God of my forefathers bless you for your kindness in releasing me when we last met. I was not in my right mind. Achish stood to his feet. His large strides vibrated the ground beneath him as he stepped down to David. You're a raging lunatic when I saw you last, Giant Slayer, Achish said. Yet now you stand before me in your right mind, and with a small army camped at my borders. Tell me, which David am I speaking to? The commander or the madman? David continued to look at the ground, refusing to meet Achish eye to eye. Neither, my lord, he said. I come to you as a servant and a refugee. My men of I have spent months in the wilderness being pursued by King Saul. He seeks my life, so we fled here. We know you are in many border disputes with other nations. 
Allow us to reside here, and we will serve you well. I already have men protecting my borders. Akish scoffed. Why do I need you? Because I have fought against your men, King Akish. Your army is vast, but lacks the skill my men and I have. Allow us to dwell in the countryside, and we will prove to be useful. David was now looking up at Akish. Their eyes met, and Akish was able to determine the honesty in David's voice. Shall I spare the man who has killed my people, and allow him to live in my kingdom? Akish said with a firm voice. What kind of king would I be if I allowed you to go unpunished? You would be a wise king, my lord. You know that there is no army you have under you as skilled and fierce as mine. Allow us to make raids for you and protect your borders. All other Philistine kings will fear you, for you were able to tame the giant slayer. There was a long pause. David knew the next question Akish would ask. It was a question that David had pondered himself many times when fleeing from Saul. Akish leaned over and asked, Would you be willing to fight against your own people under my command? Yes. David replied without hesitation. King Saul has made many attempts on my life. He has threatened me, my men, and our families. Our loyalties are severed from Israel. David lied. However, he had a plan and needed Achish to trust him. King Achish pondered David's words. He stroked his beard and gestured for his guards to unbind him. Very well, Giant Slayer. Since you have killed my last champion, Goliath, I have been in need of someone to raid and protect the borders of Ziklag. It is a herding country and vulnerable to other nations. Dwell there and secure the area on my behalf. David bowed in homage to the king, then left. As he was exiting the large wooden doors, King Achish stopped him. And Giant Slayer? I and the other Philistine kings have not forgotten all your bloodshed towards our people. I will be keeping close watch on you. David nodded, smiled, and departed the city back to the mountains where he had left his men. There is no way I am serving that uncircumcised monster of a king! Shama yelled. The young man was passionate and angry at David for brokering such a deal. The others were outraged as well. David stood at the fire with Shama, Joshobim, Eleazar, Abishai, and Benaiah. He often held counsel with them before making a decision. This time, however, he would be immovable in his decision. I must agree with Shama. We have fought these Philistines and lost men. They are our enemies and cannot be trusted. Benaiah said quietly. Benaiah was young but had quickly become the most trusted follower of David. He had been made captain over the Night Watch and David's personal bodyguard. Who is to say he won't turn on us? David nodded in consideration. I understand your protests, faithful men. Trust me, I do. However, we are clearly in more danger within the borders of Israel. Saul moved 3,000 of his men from Gibeah to march against our 600. 3,000! When I saw how many men Saul was willing to mobilize against us, I knew we were no longer safe near Judah or Israel. Besides, I have a plan to raid the enemies of Israel and bring the plunder to Achish. 
we can strike down the Geshurites, Gizites, and Amalekites and tell the king that it was against Israel. This keeps Israel protected from its enemies and us in the good graces of the Philistines. As long as we bring back plunder, they will be none the wiser. The men began to come around. David leaned in even more and whispered, If I can get Achish on our side, he will defend us to the other Philistine kings. If we sense any trouble, we are already in the countryside. We can flee at a moment's notice. The men considered David's reasoning. As passionate and emotional as David was, he had a sober mind. He had clearly thought of all the angles that mattered. They were weary from so many months of wandering in the wilderness and fleeing Saul. It would be refreshing for them to settle in one place. Their wives and their children needed a space to call home, so the men agreed. They would follow David to Ziklag and fight on behalf of King Achish against the Jeshurites, Gizites, and Amalekites. They ventured off to Ziklag, a fairly desolate countryside with the occasional farming village. David and his men were happy there. They and their families built homes and created a safe haven for themselves. For a year and four months, they dwelled within the borders of Gath. Weekly, David would lead his men into the surrounding cities. The men became famous in the land for their quick swords and tactical ambushes. There was not a group of men in the land quite like David and his mighty warriors. They would go into the cities and strip them of their sheep, oxen, donkeys, camels, and garments. Everything they raided, they would bring back to Achish. Weekly, David and his men would come before the king with the spoils of war. Achish would grin from ear to ear and yell, My warrior David, where have you made a raid today? David would bow and respond with, Against the Israelites, or against the tribe of Judah. But they were all lies. David was fighting against the enemies of Israel and raiding their cities. This kept the people of Israel safe and King Achish rich. David and his men were silent defenders of Israel, striking down their enemies before they even had a chance to march up against their borders. Thousands died at the hand of David and his mighty men and the people of Israel were completely unaware of their defender, and Achish trusted David completely. With each passing day, the king of Gath grew more wealthy because of David's exploits. He reveled in his newfound friend, and the army of outcasts had finally created a place for them to belong. It was early morning, and David was scanning the rich fields of sheep grazing on the rolling hills of Ziklag. It calmed him to watch the shepherds tend to their flock. It reminded him of more innocent times before raids, wars, violence, and politics. He breathed in the crisp morning air, taking in the smell of wet grass. He breathed out a sigh of praise to God. It had been a year of rebuilding, rebuilding his men and his family, rebuilding a faith in God's calling over his life, and rebuilding confidence in himself after months of being pursued by Saul. Added to this, he was able to protect Israel and gain wealth by attacking their enemies. He was able to keep his people safe, while also prospering in the land of the Philistines. David was content in many ways and felt truly blessed, for now. David stood up, stretched, and made his way back to his village. He walked down the hill into the stretch of land that he and his warriors had built upon. 
They had built homes, dug wells, and fences to keep their livestock. They had planted gardens and fields of wheat for food and barracks to keep their weaponry. Ziklag was an oasis flowing with favor and wealth. David marveled at the faithfulness of God. He and Abigail enjoyed their lives together with enough food, water, wine, and friendship to last a lifetime. All seemed at peace. David entered his home, and the savory smell of stew and bread was wafted in from the fireplace. The pot and bowl were waiting for him, so he scooped some into his bowl and began to eat. Not even two bites in, there was a knocking at the door. Abigail opened it to a distressed Abishai. He was fighting to catch his breath after running to him. <gasps> My lord, David. Abishai gasped for air. I need to speak with you. David stood to his feet and had Abishai sit. He refused and lifted his arm. We are in trouble. Israel is in trouble. What is it? David asked swiftly. Tell me now. The Philistines are marching up to attack Israel. The Philistine kings have combined their armies to march up against Saul at Aphek. They have done this before. David said matter-of-factly. We have done all we can to protect Israel. Are you saying we should come to their aid? No, David. You do not understand. King Achish has requested that we march up with him to join the other kings and fight against Israel. David's stomach dropped when he heard the words leave Abishai's mouth. He sat back and grabbed his long hair. What have I done? He whispered to himself. What am I going to do? All the color left David's face. He began to feel faint and dizzy at the thought of marching up against Israel. But what choice did he have? If he refused, King Achish would wipe them out. He had spent a year gaining his trust, and if he did not march with him, surely he and his men would be doomed. What are we going to do, David? Abishai asked solemnly. David was silent. All the line to King Achish had finally caught up to him, and now he was faced with a decision that could alter the history of Israel. Would he march with the Philistines to destroy Israel, or would he refuse and be slaughtered by the entire Philistine army? David said nothing. He gripped his hair tightly and shook his head in dismay. Leave me, he whispered. But David, we need an answer now. I said leave, David shouted. You will have your answer, now go! And tell no one of this until I have found you. Abishai bowed and left without another word. David stood up, strapped his sword to his back, and left with the door slamming behind him. He climbed the hill overlooking the village and sat on a stone. The cool morning breeze was still cool and refreshing. David closed his eyes and listened for the voice of God. He needed direction. Any decision he could make seemed to lead down a bad path. David was so accustomed to choosing between a good decision and a bad one. Until now, he lived in a world that was black and white. All choices were between evil or good, righteousness or wickedness, life or death. Yet now, he was faced with two terrible decisions in which both could lead to utter humiliation and destruction. Finally, David knew what it was like to be a king. He prayed to God for guidance, yet no voice responded. He was left with the chaotic ramblings of his own mind. He stood to his feet and left the mountain. A decision had to be made, and David trusted that God's mercy would follow him either way. David retrieved Abishai and Benaiah. With a somber yet resolute tone, David lifted his eyes and said, We march tomorrow morning, 
with the Philistines. Gather the men. Do not ask questions. I trust the Lord our God will deliver us. So the men gathered themselves and marched behind King Achish and his army. They trudged along the countryside, silently anticipating what was to come. David held his head low, lamenting that he may have to shed blood against his fellow Israelites. The allied Philistine army was as vast as the sea itself. Thousands of men were stationed across the plains of Aphek. David and his men resided behind the rest of the encampments a few hundred yards away. Achish kept them separate from the rest so as to not stir any unnecessary trouble. David was grateful for the separation. He did not want to feel like a part of the Philistines. Everything in his body cried out against it. David, Abishai, Eleazar, and Benaiah scaled the mountain overlooking the Israelite camp. Saul had amassed an army unlike any they had seen before. Clearly, Saul had anticipated the unification of Philistine kingdoms against him. They were certainly not outnumbered or outmatched. Saul had gathered an impressive response, and David could not help but long to be in their midst. It seems as though Saul has come prepared, David whispered. Maybe so, said Joshobim. But if we march with the Philistines tomorrow and fight, it may be the very thing that swings the fight in their favor. David nodded. He knew it was true. The presence of David and his 600 trained warriors could absolutely shift the fight in Achish's favor. He cringed at the thought, praying somehow he would not have to fight come daybreak tomorrow. The men left the mountain and returned to their camp. David was summoned to join Achish and the rest of the Philistine kings at a meeting. He rode at Achish's side into the center of the Philistine encampment. A large red tent had been erected. Inside were iron fire pits raging with flames and bronze idols erected to Dagon. Being in the room made David feel uneasy. Achish sat down at the round table sitting in the center of the tent. He was joined by the other kings and their commanders. It did not take long for them to notice David's presence. What is he doing here, Achish? Isn't this the giant slayer? One of them asked. He is, but he has offered his services to aid our battle. Achish said, slapping David's back and smiling. I trust him with my life. He has been raiding the Israelites for over a year now on my behalf, and has not failed me yet. David forced a smile, feeling an intense amount of pressure in his chest. One of the kings drove his dagger into the table and yelled, I want this man and his small army out of here. He spat and raged at Achish. He may have made you rich, but he is still an Israelite dog who cannot be trusted. The others murmured in agreement. However, Achish pushed back even more, saying, I find no fault in David or his men. They have lived peacefully with us and already proven they are willing to spill Israelite blood. Will not his presence discourage King Saul and the others? David desperately desired for Achish to stop talking, but he could say nothing. He was forced to hold his tongue and await their decision. The others pondered Achish's words, yet were still not convinced David was telling the truth. Send the man back. He shall not march down with us, lest in the battle he becomes our enemy. The tall, thin king leaned over to David and peered him in the eye. I know of your devotion to your God, King David. I know you could not reconcile yourself before your God if you spilled Israelite blood. I will not have you turn on me and my men just because you couldn't live with the guilt. 
the Philistine king's words were cutting and true. There would be no way David could reconcile himself before God if he spilled the blood of his children. Another Philistine king agreed and said, Have you heard the songs they sing about him, Achish? Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands? Who do you think those ten thousands are? They are us! This man has been made famous in Israel by slaughtering Philistines. We must not have him fight with us. The rest of them began to murmur and complain. Achish finally had enough and rose his hand. Enough, he said. I will send him back. Achish took David by the arm and led him out of the tent. The king sighed and shook his head. David, I know you are an honest and loyal man. You would have marched with me and come to my aid. Oh, how I long to fight alongside you in battle, my friend. But alas, I must respect the other lord's wishes. Go back now to Ziklag. I fear the land may be vulnerable to attack with all of us gone anyways. Be careful, my friend. Rise early in the morning with the servants of your lord who came with you, and start early in the morning, and depart as soon as you have light. Akish embraced David tightly. The hug was more than David could bear. He could feel the trust of the king, and it crushed him. He had been lying all this time to a man who seemed to be good deep down. David was conflicted. He shook Akish's hand and retreated back to camp. On his way back, David stopped and fell to his knees. He gripped the dirt below him tightly and closed his eyes. His entire body was shaking, and he could no longer hold back his tears. The hero of Israel wept bitterly on the ground, unable to console himself. He buried his face in the dirt, crying aloud to God for forgiveness. In his sin and arrogance, he had almost led his men into a sin he could not retreat from. Yet God was faithful to his chosen one. He did not allow David to commit such a hideous crime against him and his people. Despite all of his flaws and foolishness, God would not abandon David. He would remain at his side, always following after him with grace and mercy. Well, we have seen David make mistakes before, but this mistake seems to stand above the rest. Can you imagine what would have happened if David marched against the army of Israel? I'm glad we didn't have to find out, as was David. This episode took us on a journey of false security. David thought he could have it both ways. He thought he could befriend the enemy while still being the hero of God. For a while, it seemed to work, but we know by now lies always cause chaos eventually. When we deceive others and ourselves and our lives are believed, we can be lulled into a false sense of security. When we get away with lies, the comfort we feel is like sleeping on a bed that is teetering on the edge of a skyscraper. The pillows are fluffed, the blankets are warm, but we are not safe. There can be no real peace when you live a double life. Eventually, the growing chasm between your values and your actions become too wide a distance to hurdle. We see a lot of double-mindedness in this episode. The first perpetrator is Saul, who seeks the will of God in the presence of a witch. The witch points out the irony herself, saying, You swear by the Lord all the while seeking the help of a witch. You are truly a conflicted soul, aren't you? This witch doesn't know how right she is. Saul is a walking contradiction at this point. 
He leads the armies of God's people without the favor of God. He leads God's nation without the guidance of God. He claims to be a man of integrity while harboring bitterness in his heart. Saul's very presence in indoors speaks to his confusion, and at the same time, it gives us clarity. We are not sure if who Saul speaks to through the witch is actually Samuel or not. This portion of Scripture is admittedly confusing and controversial. However, the words spoken are true. Saul is going to die in the next battle. It is an unavoidable fact. There is no more escape for Saul. The time has come for him to die. While Saul is hiding in the shadows of Endor, David is hiding in the shadows of Gath. He leads his men and their families into enemy territory, despite the warnings from his trusted advisors. So far, David has made every decision by consulting God and his friends. But this decision seems to be 100% David, which doesn't bode well for him. The Word of God and the Council of Friends are supposed to be a strong foundation for a leader to rely on. But the giant slayer is set on his course and nobody can challenge him on it. As a side note, leaders who can't be questioned do questionable things. Be wary of leaders who dig their heels in and can't be moved with wise counsel. Gath isn't initially welcoming to David and his crew, but King Achish falls for David's lie. His plan is admittedly brilliant. He will raid Israel's enemies and bring back wealth for Achish. He will claim Israel is who he's hunting, and Achish won't question it because he's getting rich. His plan works. David has been a shepherd, a commander, an exile, a vigilante, and now he adds raider to his resume. David is increasingly bold to make this move, and the plan seems well thought out. He is going to build wealth and security for his people while also secretly helping Israel. David thinks he can have it both ways. He thinks he can be in an alliance with the enemy while being loyal to his country. This is the trap we can all find ourselves in. We think we can have hidden sin in our lives while also being faithful to the people around us. But these things tend to catch up with us eventually. Jesus once said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. This turns out to be true for David. He tries to keep an alliance with Gath and Israel, but at some point he is forced to choose between the two. And when the time finally comes to choose, he is in an incredibly compromising position. By the end of the episode, David has put too much on the line. The choice between marching with Gath or refusing isn't as simple as it seems. If David fights with Achish, he will be killing his own countrymen and subjugating his own people. However, if he refuses to march against Israel, his lies will be exposed and Achish will kill him, his men, and their families. You see how complicated the problem has become? David is faced with two devastating options. This is an important theme in Scripture and in life. Not every decision is a choice between good and bad. Wouldn't that be easy? If everything were a matter between choosing a clearly wrong path versus a clearly right path, then life would be a lot less complicated. No, the decisions we make are often choices between two equally bad options or equally good options. This is when discernment and wisdom are most needed. David is paralyzed by the idea of marching against his own people. Yet unable to refuse Achish, there is a brief moment when David becomes like Saul. 
The prelude reminded us that Saul's mind was dark and chaotic. Years of compromise and prideful decisions caused Saul to be closed off to the voice of God. And now in the midst of turmoil and lies, David finds himself in the same position. Without clear guidance, David takes his men to march against Israel. David doesn't necessarily plan to actually fight Israel. His plan is to go with Achish and trust that the Lord will cover his sins. It isn't a well-thought-out plan, but I guess it is David's planning that got him into this mess in the first place. The once bold hero follows the Philistines with his head held low, but God's grace is close behind him. David wrote in Psalm 23, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This is definitely the case for David, who is asked to leave the battle rather than participate in it. Through God's providence and grace, David doesn't have to fight Israel. The other Philistine kings don't trust him, so David gets to leave and maintain the trust of King Agish. Christ is averted, right? Wrong. We should know better by now. Remember the themes we explored in episode 10? Lies have unseen ripple effects. There is no way of prescribing how our dishonesty can affect the future. In our next episode, David sees those ripple effects and is forced to take action. However, heroes are often forged in the fire of their mistakes. Will David learn from his mistakes and make things right? Or will the pressure be too much for him to bear? Find out next time in episode 16, Heart of a Shepherd. Thanks again for listening. For more inspiring stories, daily prayers, and wisdom to last a lifetime, go to Pray.com and to expand your heroes in the Bible journey, download the Heroes of the Faith devotional at TonyEvans.org forward slash heroes. Share this podcast with a family member or friend and help us spread God's word. God bless.